This is episode two of the Magic Detective podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear the Magic History Minute. You'll hear a segment called Six Degrees of Separation, Magic Style. There's a new segment called Houdini Radio and much, much more. In fact, if you listen to the whole broadcast, you'll find out how Yuri Geller fixed my doorbell. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Magic Detective podcast, the podcast where you hear all things magic history. And speaking of that, I, um, I was alerted to the fact that in episode one, I said the words magic history about 300 times. So I'm going to try to curb that, uh, this particular episode. Um, I'm still trying to find my way around and how to exactly how to present this. So, um, uh, bear with me as I do that, but I, I've got some cool things for you uh, in this episode. Um, I mentioned uh, the Yuri Geller incident in the uh, the tease before the uh, start of the show. Uh, I'm going to save that till the end because it's, uh, it's a pretty funny story. Now it's time for the Magic History Minute. On October 13th, 1941, England's greatest magician passed away. His name was David Devant. Devant was the creator of many very famous illusions, including The Artist's Dream, The New Page, The Birth of Flora, Beau Bricard, and maybe his most famous, The Mascot Moth. He was also the author of a n- number of books, including My Magic Life, Secrets of My Magic, Lessons in Conjuring, and Our Magic, which he co-authored with uh, Neville Maskelin. And that is our Magic History Minute for Episode 2. Are you familiar with the term Six Degrees of Separation? Or it's actually the more popular version is Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a theory that says you're only six people away from another you know person. Uh, it, it could be somebody famous. And um, I hadn't really given it much thought until uh, I was reading an article and they mentioned Fawcett Ross. Now, if you've never heard of Fawcett Ross, Fawcett was a, it was a friend of Vernon. Um, in fact, he was more than just a friend of Vernon. He helped Vernon write a number of, uh, Vernon's books. And, uh, of course, Fawcett also put out a book called the magic of Fawcett Ross. And he was very well respected magician. And I knew that there were some modern magicians that had a connection to Fawcett. Uh, John Carney, for example, uh, considers Fawcett one of his early mentors. And also magician David Sandy uh, had a connection to Fawcett Ross as well. And uh, so I knew this and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, they have a connection to an older generation of magicians. But what I didn't really take into consideration was that Fawcett had a mentor as well. Uh, you might think, okay, well, he was friends with Vernon, so Vernon was his mentor, but not really. Uh, they were friends, but his mentor was T. Nelson Downs, the, the famous king of coins. And this got me thinking about uh, connections like this. And I thought, okay, well, I wonder if I can do that with other people. For example, uh, and that's only like a three-person connection. That's not even the whole six. That's only three but uh, so I got to think about Ricky J. So Ricky J knew Di Vernon, and Di Vernon knew Max Molini. That's pretty cool. You just go back, you know, three and you got it. But listen to this one. So in this one, you can fill in the blank with a lot of people because a lot of people knew Di Vernon. So um, just for sake of argument, because I've already mentioned him, John Carney. John Carney knew uh, Di Vernon. So you go, John Carney, that's one. Di Vernon, there's two. 
Vernon knew Houdini, that's three. Houdini knew Harry Cook, who was a mentor of his, that's four. And Harry Cook knew Abraham Lincoln, that's five. That is so crazy cool. So that's actually, that technically that would be the six degrees because I have met John Carney. So if you take it down the line, I'm only six away from Abraham Lincoln. How crazy is that? Think about that. How many, you know, just think about it for yourselves, how many people you're connected to that close. Um, as I began to just delve on the whole thing, I thought, well, you know, I'm only one away from Tony Curtis. I'm uh, one away from the $6 million woman, Lindsay Wagner. Um, I'm, and there's actually quite a few celebrities I'm only one away from, and that's because a, a good friend of mine was a magician and escape artist, Steve Baker. And Steve Baker worked with Tony Curtis and Lindsay Wagner and, and quite a few other celebrities. So I'm, I'm like only one away from a lot of different celebrities. That's pretty cool. Um, so think about it, you know, how, um, think about somebody famous like, like Thurston or Keller and how many people away from them are you? It's kind of a fun little exercise to, to think about, but I think the biggest one I got the kick out of was the Abraham Lincoln one. I thought that was pretty cool. And speaking of Abraham Lincoln, um, I live just outside the nation's capital, Washington, DC, the most deceptive place on the planet. That's right. Um, it is, uh, well, I don't like, I never talk politics. Uh, and we'll never talk politics here on the magic detective podcast. Not going to happen. Don't even try to get me started, but, uh, but I will talk about history. I have no problem talking about that. And there is quite a bit of, uh, magic history. Oh, I said the word again. Uh, there is connections to the district of Columbia. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read you a list right now. Number one on my connection to of uh, magic and the nation's capital has to be Al's Magic Shop. Now, Al's Magic Shop was a magic shop that was run by Al Cohen and his son Stan. And really, for magicians in the 60s and 70s and 80s, it was the go-to place in this area to, uh, to see magic. Magicians came from all over the world to visit Al's. I remember running into... Uh, uh, I think the first time I ran into Dave Williamson was at Al's. Um, I ran into the amazing Randy one day there at Al's and, and many, many performers. I remember uh, Cesario Palaez from the La Grande David show telling me that on one of their trips to Washington, D.C., the entire company went over to Al's Magic Shop. And, uh, and they were standing outside. There was a line of them standing outside before the shop even opened. So that's kind of cool. Um, Al's Magic Shop was located on 1012 Vermont Avenue, Northwest. Uh, the, that was the third location, I, I believe. I think um, the original location was on Pennsylvania Avenue. And then in the 70s, the late 70s, I think it was, there was a lot of uh, urban renewal in town and uh, they were tearing down the building where Al's was. So he moved, he moved to a secondary location. That's the first time I went to the shop. And then they moved again to uh, the Vermont Avenue location. And that's, you know, that's where so many of us uh, experienced wonderful magic. Al was probably, at least for my generation, 
the greatest magic demonstrator I've ever seen. I mean, he could, he could sell you anything. He didn't, you know, he didn't sell you anything. He sold you great tricks, but, um, he could, he could make, he really could make the worst trick look incredible, but you know, he sold good quality tricks. So, uh, and Al is still alive. He's been retired for a number of years, retired for a number of years, but he, uh, is living down in Florida and still going strong from what I, what I hear. I saw, I think I last saw Al at the, uh, DC Symposium on Magic History back in 2013. Is that right? 2013. So it's been a few years since I've seen Al, but I, I see his face pop up on Facebook every now and then. So that's pretty cool. So there's one connection. Connection number two uh, is a magician by the name of Robert Heller. Now in the future, I'm going to tell you all about Robert Heller, but uh, he, uh, Heller uh, predates uh, Harry Keller, for example. Uh, he's around um, Civil War time, uh, 18, let's see, 1860s, 1870s in that period is where he was most famous. He actually lived for a time in Washington, DC. And while he was here, he was actually not a magician. He was, uh, he worked for the church of the epiphany on 1317 G street Northwest, um, as the pianist and organist there, uh, that, by the way, that church is still there. And uh, that's where he was an organist. He married a girl from uh, from the area, and shortly after marrying her, went back into magic and uh, toured until he passed away. Again, I'll tell you more about Heller in the future because he's got a fascinating story. A third connection with magic in Washington D.C. is, of course, Harry Houdini. And you're, uh, if you know anything about Houdini, you've probably seen the very famous photograph of Houdini hanging upside down in a straitjacket in front of the Treasury Building, and off in the distance you can see the, uh, uh, the Washington Monument. Now, all that took place on 15th Street and G Street, the corner right there. That's where the old Keith's Vaudeville Theater was, and Houdini was doing the straitjacket escape right there at the Keith's Vaudeville Theater. Um, the theater is gone. It's been gone for quite a while, but in its place is the Old Ebbett Grill, which is a restaurant. Now, the Old Ebbett Grill, if you uh, go there to eat and you walk through the doors, you're walking through the doors of the old Keith's Vaudeville Theater. In fact, if you go in, you're as soon as you go in, you're going into the foyer of the Keith's Vaudeville Theater. And if they sit you in the back, you're actually sitting in the auditorium of the old Keith's Vaudeville Theater, which is, I think, that's very cool. Now, Houdini has a lot of connections to DC. I'm not going to go over all of them today. Uh, I just wanted to give you the one for now. Uh, third, uh, uh, that was third. So the fourth connection is Harry Keller. He's, he's got a minor connection, just the fact that he performed here. Ke uh, Keller performed at the National Theater. He performed at the Columbia Theater, and he performed at Ford's Theater. Uh, of those three theaters, uh, the Ford's and National are still here. The Columbia has long since been taken down. And, of course, the National Theater, speaking thereof, uh, has hosted a lot of uh, different magicians. Robert Heller performed there. Alexander Herman performed there. Harry Keller performed there. Harry Blackstone Sr. performed there. And these two guys named Penn and Teller performed there as well. So uh, the National Theater, Theater has seen a lot of magicians. Now, within 
the National Theater, there is a smaller theater called the Helen Hayes Theater. Now, back in the Civil War days, that wasn't a theater. That was actually a pool hall. And it was a pool hall that was frequented by no less than John Wilkes Booth. Today, of course, it's been converted into a small theater uh, where performances are given. Uh, I, th- I think they still do like uh, Mondays and Saturdays there. Um, and countless D.C. area magicians have performed there. I know that for a fact because they used to have, uh, I think it was called Mondays at the National um, or was it Wednesdays, Wednesdays at the National? I forget. But they had a, they had a program where they had rotating uh, artists and a lot of them were magicians, including myself. I performed there um, a number of years ago as well. So here's another connection to DC, Max Malini. Max Malini. Uh, Max Malini, let's see. Malini performed in several places in DC, including the Willard Hotel, which is on Pennsylvania Avenue. He performed at the Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt Hotel, which is on 16th Street. And uh, let's see. Oh, and he also performed at the White House and at the Capitol Building. And there's a very famous incident that happened at the Capitol Building, which I will say for another day. Uh, Alexander Herman. Now, here's another great one. And, and, and technically, this is Alexander Herman and his brother, Compars Herman. They both performed in the nation's capital, and they performed at the White House in the East Room, and they entertained Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln seemed to love magic. Now, one of my favorite connections of magic and, uh, and the nation's capital is a fellow by the name of John Wyman, Jr., John Wyman Jr. was known as Wyman the Wizard, a very popular magician in the Civil War time. He performed for Lincoln as well uh, in the East Room of the White House. In fact, there's a, a famous thing where he did uh, what's called a cap and pence trick. He took a number of coins, placed them on the back of Lincoln's hand, covered it with a little, little, uh, little metal cover, and the coins penetrated right through Lincoln's hand. And... Uh, well, trivia fact, those coins, that, that uh, the coins in the cap are in David Copperfield's collection today. Uh, but uh, Wyman uh, lived in the area. Um, he, I don't think he lived in Washington, but he lived in uh, somewhere in Maryland. And he would often, often travel back and forth between Baltimore and the Washington, uh, Washington, D.C. to perform. He performed often at a place called Odd Fellows Hall which is located on 419 7th Street in Northwest. It's still there as well. So uh, uh, Wyman was an important part of the D.C. magic scene back in the 19th century. Senor Blitz was another character. Uh, Senor Blitz performed here. He performed for Lincoln. He ran into Lincoln uh, during a parade, which that's another story I want to save for another time. But uh, So Senor Blitz performed here. And of course, kind of in a way, the Capitol building and the White House are also connected to magic because of how many magicians have been there and performed there. Um, there is a, uh, a famous event that takes place every year at the White House called the White House Easter Egg Roll. And uh, just to give you the short list of uh, performers at the Easter Egg Roll, they include, and this is not a complete list by any stretch, but they include Al Cohen. David Williamson, David Kay, who's known as Silly Billy, 
the entire cast of the La Grande David and his own spectacular magic company from Be- Beverly, Massachusetts, Doug Henning, Harry Blackstone Jr., Steve Wyrick, Wayne Allen, Trixie Bond, Ralph the Great, Dave Risley, Matt King, Ken Scott, Eric Henning, Mark Daniel, Ray Goulet, Mike Bent, Emmanuel Shaboom, the uh, the Pro Kids Show performers, Adam Ace, James Wand, uh, myself, and many, many other uh, performers. In fact, I know that they have had performers that came from as far away as Australia to perform at the White House Easter Egg Roll. Now, our final connection, and there are more, but our final connection uh, to the nation's capital is a fellow by the name of Henry Ridgely Evans, who was a prolific magic writer and author. He knew many magicians during the, the turn of the century, from the 19th to the 20th century. Uh, he knew Keller. He knew Thurston. He knew um, I'm, he probably knew Wyman the Wizard, for that matter. Um, he knew a lot of, of the old-timers, and he wrote about them extensively. Uh, he's actually buried in Washington, D.C. at Oak Hill Cemetery. It's 3001 R Street, Northwest. His uh, grave is located in, in the Stewart section, lot 610 East. And good luck trying to find it. Uh, I found it uh, on a rainy day, almost killed myself trying to find it because uh, it's not easy. It is a big cemetery and uh, not well um, marked any longer because it's a very old cemetery. Oh, and before I forget, there is one more connection to the to magic in the nation's capital, and that would be a little place called the Library of Congress. Uh, the Library of Congress, which has the uh, some of uh, the Houdini Library, Houdini's collection of books there. There are Houdini scrapbooks there. There are props that were owned by Johann Hofsenzer. Uh, there are quite a few magic posters, vintage magic posters, in the library's collection as well. Uh, not on display, but they are there, and I have seen them displayed on a couple rare occasions. So the Library of Congress is is almost a go-to place if you're researching magic and you want to, uh, you know, and you're in the area. That's a great place to go to. So there's a, a bit of magic in the nation's capital. Now this next segment, I'm going to refer to it in the future as Houdini Radio. That's the name of the segment, mainly because I'm going to be talking about Houdini uh, a lot and possibly in every episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. So it's time for Houdini Radio. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be the introduction or not, but uh, today I want to talk a little bit about Houdini and Lafayette, the Great Lafayette. Now the Great Lafayette, his real name was Sigmund Newberger. He was an amazing illusionist and quick change artist, and Houdini met Lafayette in Nashville, Tennessee in 1899. They were both working in Nashville, appearing at the old Grand Theater, which was the Grand Opera House. On November the 6th, on November the 6th uh, Houdini went down to the Nashville Police Department unannounced, And as the story goes, Houdini went into the station house along with some reporters and made the claim that they could lock him up in their cuffs and he could get out. And the police in the station laughed at him. Keep in mind, this is 1899. He hadn't quite become the the nationwide uh, celebrity yet. 
And uh, But eventually what they did was they brought out three pair of cuffs, one of which hadn't been opened in 10 years because nobody had a key. And Houdini took the keyless cuff and stepped out of the room for a moment. And when he came back, he had the, the, the cuff open. So the police were, they were duly impressed and they figured, okay, well, let's give this guy a shot. So they locked all three pair of handcuffs on Houdini and, and he, he stepped behind kind of an improvised curtain and he began his escape. And well, two minutes later, Houdini came walking back in the room and, uh, he had all the cuffs. He, he had them interlinked together. That was one of his kind of signature things to prove that, um, that he had actually not just slipped them off his wrist, but, uh, unlocked them to get them off. So, uh, it was, a quite a, an astonishing thing for the police there in Nashville and the reporters as well. And according to a March 12th, 1924 article in the Tennessean newspaper, uh, Houdini recalling the event from years previous says that a detective who had handcuffed him later gave him a dog and that dog Houdini gave to Lafayette. Now, if you know anything about Lafayette, you know that Lafayette had this dog named Beauty that was basically his be his best friend. And uh, he got that dog from Houdini. In fact, uh, Lafayette loved that dog so much, he had a fake pedigree made for the dog. Uh, on the front, of, front door of Lafayette's home in London, he had a, a plaque hung that said, the more I see of man, the more I love my dog. Beauty had her own room, had her own bathroom in the house. She ate five-course meals, and an image of Beauty appeared on Lafayette's checks. She was also an official member of the cast of his show, and uh, and they are buried together. I thought I'd share that little story about where uh, Houdini got the dog that he gave to Lafayette, because I know that it's been written up in books that Houdini gave the dog to Lafayette, but I never knew where the dog came from, and now... Well, now you know. And that's Houdini Radio for episode two. Now it's time for the Yuri Geller story. So uh, <laughs> so I mentioned early on about Yuri Geller fixing my doorbell. All right, so let me explain. This happened in the, uh, the 80s, and I'm watching this TV show. It's a special with starring Houdini, or I'm sorry, not Houdini. It's starring uh, Uri Geller and the amazing Randy. And uh, I, I don't remember that much about the special except for this one particular moment. And I will never forget this one particular moment where Uri Geller walks up to the TV camera and he says, okay, okay, people at home, if you have a, if you have a watch that is no longer working uh, or, or, or an appliance in your house that is no longer working, bring it up to the TV set, bring it, do that. I will wait for you. Do that now. And then a moment later, he's like, okay, you have your watch. It's not, it doesn't work. Hold it up. Now here's what I want you to say this, believe this, say, say work, work, work. Say it again, work, work, work. So this is what he's, he's saying on the TV show. And, uh, so I look at my roommate at the time and I'm like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he's, he's just laughing. I'm like the doorbell of the house, the doorbell has never worked, you know? So as a joke, I go to the door and I hit the doorbell and it doesn't work. And I go, okay, here we go. Let's give it a try. And I go, okay, Yuri, work, work, work. And then, you know, and I can see the TV from the door and, and Uri's, Uri's like, okay, now check. Oh, look, look, my watch is working. Check, check, check your watch. You're, it is working. Your appliances are working. Check. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I hit the doorbell and it works. 
the doorbell, when he lived there for two years, had never worked the entire time. And right there, Uri Geller psychically fixed the doorbell. And that doorbell worked the rest of the time that I lived at that house. It was the craziest thing. But the best part about it is I can tell the story about Uri Geller fixing the doorbell. It's a cool story. So I hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode, uh, episode two of the Magic Detective podcast. I want to remind you to, uh, if you could, to check out the website, DougHenningFilm.com. They're still in the midst of their Indiegogo campaign to raise money for the the upcoming uh, Doug Henning documentary. And uh, if you can contribute to that, and uh, hey, here's an idea. If you've already contributed, maybe contribute a little bit more. That's what I plan on doing after I do my taxes, that is. Um, yeah, so uh, look into that, the Doug Henning documentary. It's, uh, again, DougHenningFilm.com. And for uh, my fellow magic historians uh, who like magic, I don't, I'm not going to say it, who like that thing, something history. Uh, there is the Yankee Gathering that happens in the second week of November. You can find out more about that by going to Nemca, N-E-M-C-A.com, Nemca.com, and uh, see if they have any uh, any more openings for the Yankee Gathering. It's up in Westboro, Massachusetts. It's a couple days long. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. They do talks. They do lectures. They have a... Uh, uh, an auction that they do there. They have shows in the evening and dinner. It's just the best. I so wish I could be there. And unfortunately, I'm going to miss it this year. Um, so I'm really sorry about that. But if you can go, please do. That would be so great. Uh, you'll love it. So, oh, and uh, if you would, hey, check out my blog at themagicdetective.com. That's my blog where you'll find 700 plus articles on the history of magic. And oh, before I go, I want to let you know that uh, iTunes has approved the Magic Detective podcast. So you can find us now on iTunes. Uh, the easiest way is just to do a search under iTunes and just look for Magic Detective podcast and you'll see our um, you'll see our little logo there. There are some other Magic Detective uh, things that come up. There are like somebody's posted the Blackstone radio show magic detective series so you have to kind of scroll through but you'll find us and eventually we'll be the you know the first one there and uh, so if you're uh, listening to us via itunes please subscribe if you're listening to the podcast via my um, podcast page which is magicdetectivepodcast.com uh, please follow us there that would be great and uh, I think that's it for this week. So thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next Monday with more magic history. <laughs>